G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hello, it's Neil Johnson. Welcome to today's 2020 podcast from the Vision Radio Network. You can hear 2020 weekdays from 10am Australian Eastern Standard Time. Well, if you're listening into The Journey today, Matt and Karen had their book reviewer, Jasmine, previewing the latest book by our next guest. He is adjunct professor of biomedical sciences at Victoria University in Melbourne, and he's adjunct professor of applied sciences at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology University. RMIT is the largest Australian tertiary institution. He holds degrees in chemistry and a PhD in epistemology, dealing with the theory of knowledge and its limits. Dr. John Ashton realised that evolutionists were making the claim that evolution is a proven fact, but there were no published papers to support these claims. Dr. Ashton's research revealed that not only was evidence for the theory of evolution lacking, there was much publicised evidence that showed the theory to be highly improbable. His latest book is called Evolution Impossible. Dr. John Ashton, welcome to 2020. Oh, hello, Neil. John, great to have you on 2020, and your latest book, Evolution Impossible, is making a few ripples around the place. Yes, um, it has uh, attracted quite a bit of um, uh, attention on uh, its Facebook page and uh, also uh, reviews on uh, Amazon uh, and also discussed on a number of uh, university and uh, philosophy websites I noticed because... As a um, as a university professor, I'm challenging this uh, this theory, and I think many students are not aware that now many other leading scientists um, and other university professors are are pointing out that there are major problems with the theory. It it really doesn't work. It can't really account for the amazing genetic code that there is in DNA in our organism. John, this is not the first book you've written on this type of topic and uh, you've attracted a whole lot of controversy and criticism before for making these sorts of, uh, these sorts of statements and, uh, and challenges to what is really the prevailing understanding of what uh, the origins and the evolution of, of life has been. Well, that's right. Some years ago, a uh, seminar was presented at Macquarie University uh, presenting the evidence uh, for creation and a, uh, a leading Australian scientist and sceptic stood up and said, look, I don't believe that any scientist with a PhD would believe in a literal six-day creation only thousands of years ago. And uh, so in response to that challenge, I wrote to uh, dozens and dozens of research scientists and university professors that I came to know through uh, just uh, academic networks 
and ask them why they rejected evolution, why did they choose to believe in biblical creation and that became the book In Six Days which has now gone through many, many multiple printings and, and that explains, these scientists explain each from their different fields and perspectives why evolution just doesn't add up, biblical creation fits the data that we have much better than any, anything else we know of. Talking about how hard it is to break through when there is an entrenched thinking, I know that you say that for scientists, denying evolution is like denying science itself. It's very hard for people to change direction. Well, that's true. Um, many, uh, the, the, many scientists today have gone through university and this is what they have been told. But it's interesting that Susan uh, Mazur, who's a science journalist in the US, I- interviewed one of the recent um, uh, recipients of the US President uh, Medal for Science. And um, he pointed out, we taught students We've been teaching evolution as a, as a fact to students because we actually believed it, but now we realise uh, that it's not. And so what these scientists were seeing, were well, they were seeing small evolutionary changes. Small types of evolution occur, but not the type of evolution that can produce a new type of organism. That uh, has never been observed and there's no known mechanism and the scientists are now realising that it's impossible that evolution by this sort of mechanism, Darwinian type mechanism and natural selection cannot produce the new code. And But most students, when I put this sort of information up on the internet with the references and so forth, students just can't believe it. They just can't They've been so inculcated that evolution is a fact that they can't believe it. And that's why the book is so important to get out there because it lists and cites the information and the published papers now that all add up that support the biblical account of our origins and reject evolution. Well, I've perused your book and it's easy to understand. And you've got it set out in such a way as uh, you're building upon block upon block, and uh, you present a fabulous case. And we'll talk about some of those particular topical uh, headings that you've got in your book. But but to, to, to just lay a foundation here, the probability that evolution is uh, the correct way to think about uh, origins and the way that human life uh, got to where it is today, uh, for you, probability is a big issue. Well, that's, that's right. We, if we look at the code in a bacteria, there's about uh, four and a half million uh, base pairs of information of code, four and a half million pieces of code. If that was to evolve into a yeast, we jump up to 12 million pieces of code. So an extra seven and a half million pieces of code have got to come from somewhere. And we're still only up to a single cell organism. We're, if we then go to a little roundworm or nematode, we've got to go from 12 million pieces of code up to 100 million pieces of code. We've got to encode for a digestive system. We've got to code for a different reproductive system. It's, it's just huge. And I don't think people can comprehend how much code, and it's a code, like a written language, like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Just imagine an encyclopedia in Chinese. It's all code. Um, and that has to occur by chance. We know it's just absolutely impossible. Those chemical reactions to make that... The code forms by chemical reactions. 
And those chemical reactions are limited by the laws of chemistry. And we know, you know, how they, how they occur. And the probability of they occurring can be roughly calculated. And it's absolutely beyond the astronomical figure. It's so huge is the probability of it happening or the improbability of it happening that we can say that it is absolutely impossible. And that would be just for a use to evolve to a roundworm, let alone all the, the hundreds of thousands of other, uh, types of organisms that there are. Well, let's get back to some of the fundamental questions that people are going to be empowered to be able to ask uh, those who are claiming that evolution is uh, uh, is the reality rather than creation. We'll come back and talk about those in just a short while. Our guest is Dr. John Ashton. He's the author of a book called Evolution Impossible. We'll talk about some of the the details, the the meats the, the flesh on the skeleton in just a few moments here on 2020. You're listening to the 2020 podcast on the Vision Radio Network. We're back talking about the creation versus evolution debate today. Our guest is Dr. John Ashton, the author of a new book called Evolution Impossible. He's an adjunct professor of biomedical sciences at Victoria University and adjunct professor of applied sciences at RMIT. Dr. John Ashton discusses lots of theories. He says a living cell can't arise by chance. He talks about new organisms that can't evolve by random mutation. And he says the fossil record is evidence for extinction, not for evolution. So, John Ashton, with so little evidence propping up the evolution side of the debate, what are the things evolutionists are arguing to prove their case? Okay, well, evolutionists claim that some simple uh, life form started up on life. They don't know how. They don't attempt to explain how that happened. And then they say that this uh, particular life form, as it was um, growing um, and reproducing, uh, underwent various changes or mutations and some of these mutations gave it an advantage in terms of survival and that these mutations accumulated and eventually became the first you know bacteria and the bacteria then evolved into uh, higher and more complex organisms like worms and worms into fish and then fish into into reptiles and so forth so we have the classic example of in the fish, it's uh, described as how its fins evolve into legs, and hence it can it can walk um, and um, and has the advantage and can move on to land and and so forth. And at the same time, the breathing mechanism would change from gills to to lungs. And so they say that this all happened by small changes over millions and millions of years. But that's not what we observe. What when we study living organisms now, fish remain fish. They don't, they don't change. We've bred bacteria through 30, 40, 50,000 generations. They still remain the same genus of bacteria. They don't change. They might make little uh, metabolic changes within um, their structure. And perhaps I can explain it this way. What if, if we have, say, a VW Beetle car and um, the sort of evolution that we observe 
happening today is sort of like we can imagine the beetle cars being produced in its factory and that's the, the reproductive system of, a, of a, an animal perhaps and uh, we have a beetle that comes out and it has no doors or mudguards on it because somehow the computer didn't read the code for the doors and mudguards. So this beetle comes out, has no doors or mudguards on it or bumper bar, but it's now a lot lighter and so it makes a really good vehicle for driving over sand. Um, or we might have a, a, a beetle come out and... Um, out of the factory and it's got two steering wheels it's got a steering wheel in the passenger seat but it's not connected to anything and we observe those sort of mutations that's where say a person is born with an extra finger or or sometimes an animal is born with two heads but the second head doesn't operate anything um, and uh, so we observe these sort of uh, mutations they're very common or the uh, the VW might be being made in the um, the same factory, a little beetle car as a as a VW um, uh, truck is being made of some kind with bigger wheels, and somehow the big wheels get put on the on the on the on the VW Beetle, and the big bumper bar off the VW truck gets put on the little Beetle, and so now we have a Beetle with big wheels and a big bumper bar. Um, and so, again, that was pre-existing code. It was in the factory there and it was transferred across. So we see those sorts of uh, forms of evolution taking place and um, where uh, genes from one organism are, are passed to another. And this often happens in, say, the evolution of food poisoning bacteria where genes for a toxin are transferred from one bacteria to another. But it's all pre-existing code. There's no new code. Now, what evolution claims is that over millions and millions of years, that code for the VW will eventually change and produce an army tank. Somehow, the code for caterpillar tracks, for armour plate, for a cannon will evolve. But we know that doesn't happen because that code for a VW is just all the parts for a VW. There's no code there for a cannon. There's no code there for an army track, uh, for caterpillar tracks. That has to be new code that has to come from somewhere. We never see that evolution occurring. We never see the VW Beetle evolving into a helicopter or a submarine or a microwave oven. They would require all new pieces of code. But what the uh, evolutionists claim is, no, the little VW Beetle, if given enough time, it will evolve into an army tank and a helicopter. But what we know is that doesn't happen because it requires new code and the new code, there's no explanation for where it can come from. And it's very complex, there's a lot more parts. Now when they look at the fossil record, they say, but hang on, the army tank has a seat in it and a steering wheel and the VW has a seat in it and a steering wheel. Um, and, so, and, it had, and the army tank has a brake pedal and the VW has a brake pedal. So see, the army tank must have evolved and the helicopter has similar a steering wheel and a, you know, a pedal and a seat, so it must have evolved. And so that's what they're saying. But we know that there's no mechanism. The army tank didn't necessarily evolve from the VW nor the helicopter. Um, and, of course, we know they were all designed. But that's the claim that evolution makes. Because they see these similarities in the fossil record, they think that one evolves into the other. But we know that the new code just can't form by random chance. Those mutations, you can't mutate a VW part over and over again and produce an army tank with a cannon and armour plate. You can't produce it into a microwave oven or a helicopter or a jet plane. 
And so we know that it needs new code, new engineering plans and, and so forth. So I'm trying to explain there the, the, the differences and the claims of evolutionists. But we know today that evolution just doesn't happen. VWs can change. We can get ones without steering wheels. We can get ones with extra wheels on the back and so forth. But we can't change them into a completely different type of machine. John, as Christians, sometimes we get defensive when we are defending a biblical creation. But your book summarises the evidence that indicates that evolution can't be the mechanism responsible for life on earth. And do you feel like sometimes Christians are not taking this alternative interpretation of the evidence and and using that rather than just trying to be defensive about the Bible? Well, yes, I I think so. There are many leading scientists now that are recognising that life is more than just molecules you know Paul Davis has said look when we look at biochemistry we can see all these reactions but there's something more there that makes something alive Um, recently just a few months ago the uh, professor of philosophy at the University of New York published a book Mind and the Cosmos where he points out evolution cannot explain the origin of the mind it's amazing we have the brain that's hard that's biochemicals and so forth but the mind our thoughts can become a carving a painting we can transform our thoughts into a poem where does that come from it's not encoded in the evolutionary model at all how can our mind arise there's something supernatural there Uh, so many scientists are seeing it from many different angles the bible is a wonderful succinct picture as god has revealed our origins to us in language we can understand and that's exactly what we're finding with the scientific discoveries now. They fit the Bible description. And as you're saying, there are so many more dimensions to just the scientific basis uh, for why we are here on Earth. And uh, I know you describe evolution as something of a wish theory or, or something that's not unlike a fairy tale because it just doesn't have the substance to be able to explain the whole picture. Right, well, evolution, and that's very correct, uh, Neil. See, Darwin uh, was living at a time where the mechanical worldview was was paramount. Men were inventing machines. There was this machine model reductionism in science of of dividing science and and uh, everything down into the smallest part and then summing it mathematically. But biological systems don't work like that. They have, they have synergies. They, they, they don't obey necessarily reductionistic laws. And that's why research and progress in medicine and drug design and so forth has, has been so slow because the reactions are far more complex than these simple mechanical reactions. But when Darwin grew up in this, and he really essentially proposed a simple mechanical model for how life came to be, But we now know so much about the complexity of the biochemistry of human organisms, all the chemical reactions in us and enzymes and pathways that sort of stop your blood from clotting in its veins but clot at the moment that you get a wound. The digestive system that releases the enzymes and chemicals in just the right amount at just the right quantities in just the right parts of the digestive system and little valves that hold it up all the way down. Just our common digestive system is so intricate. When we get to the reproductive system, it actually blows our mind away. The amazing chemistry and interactions that lead to the production of a new organism, not alone in humans, but even in insects. 
And so the design of this is so intricate and so advanced, it is, it is mind-blowing. Well, John, there are so many dimensions to the way we can talk about this. We'll have to point people to getting a hold of your book. It's called Evolution Impossible. Uh, you can get it through Amazon.com or you can get it through uh, Christian bookstores like Kurong. And uh, you can also go to the Facebook page for Evolution Impossible as well. Dr. John Ashton is our guest, uh, the author of Evolution Impossible. John, thanks for being with us today on 2020. It's a pleasure. God bless your ministry. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts. Or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.